we, as a pastoral staff, started doing this book. We've been in the series. It's a book called Lead. And no, these aren't cultic symbols. <laughs> um, but this guy, Paul David Tripp, has written a really insightful book on, um, and it's for leadership too, just Christian leadership. Like, what, is it, what does it look like really? And what is truly like the biblical concept of leading as a believer? What does that really look like, right? So I think a lot of times in this world, you know, um, you guys remember, um, Years ago, you know, there are all these books, Jesus is CEO and all these different things, right? Well, the church is different. We're not a corporation. There's, it's gotta be, there's gotta be order, right? But we're, the church is completely different. So anyways, so this guy here, um, Paul David Tripp, has written a really insightful book on what true biblical leadership looks like. And so, um, I am going to speak on this chapter on servanthood. And let me tell you, so we read it originally as a pastoral staff a couple months ago, and then I went back and reread it for this sermon. And this stuff just, it cuts both ways. It just, it's so good. How many of you guys were here when we did um, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality? You remember? Like, that was really good, but it cuts so deep, man. It's like it did major wound cleaning. That's what this book is like. So this guy talks about how as leaders, right, we are our rubric for measuring stuff, right, often is how many people have attended, right, who's showing up, how many likes are we getting on social media, you know, are we getting quoted, what, you know, what, what are we bringing in, how are we sustaining ourselves, right? And those are admirable metrics but this guy contends that's totally, you know, that's not what serving Christ is about. That's not what leading as a godly man or godly woman is about. It's, it's a, a servant. It's this, this idea of, of servant leadership, really. And that sounds like such a worn cliche, but here's the deal. Clichés and stereotypes exist because they exist, right? And I, I just want to pull on some yarns here um, that I just, he's got some really, really, really good. So he, I'm going to start off, I'm going to read, this is going to be a little bit different Bible study because usually I'm super like text heavy. We're going to get into the text, but I want to read some quotes here. And I think if we look at the idea of servant leadership, we have to, first of all, Jesus models that, right? He is the ultimate servant leader, Right? Here is somebody who holds, the world is held together by his thoughts. He created gravity. He formed ex nihilo, stuff out of nothing, right? And yet he comes and he becomes a man. He enters into humanity. Now let's take it back. Okay, so we can go, okay, well, that's just, that's Jesus, right? But I want to take it back even farther. Why? Was there a need for Jesus to do that? Because we go back, you guys don't have to go there, but in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, right? Remember? There is Satan, right? He shows up. God's created this amazing, perfect Garden of Eden, right? And the Garden of Eden was like, um, 
I think we think of it as being like this cute little, maybe like, how many of you guys have been down to our, our new garden that we made down here enclosed, right? Okay, so it's kind of tiny and cute and quaint. And I think a lot of times we think of the Garden of Eden as that. The Garden of Eden, though, hang with me, hang with me here, was like, was like a, a bridge, right? It was like a, a portal place, kind of a meeting place between heaven and earth. And it was the ruling place when God created an Adam over all the earth. Okay, so it wasn't just this cute little garden, right? So in that garden, right, God creates the Adam and Eve and then the, the two trees, right? And Satan comes in, he's already fallen at this point, and he makes a case with Eve. He's like, God's depriving you. You get to you can't have this, this tree, you can't eat the fruit from this tree. And what he does right off the bat is he limits, he takes God's words and he twists it. God's like, you have, they had conditional eternal life. It was conditional as long as they didn't eat from the tree. God's like, you get to live forever with me. We're going to party and we're going to just love on each other. You get to take care of the animals and we're going to plant great stuff and have a great time and and create humanity, right? Or, Or, you know, procreate and stuff. And, but just, you just, this tree, do not eat it because when you eat it, the day you eat of it, you will die, okay? What Satan does, what he gets at by doing that is, is, is pride and it's self-service because he tells Adam and Eve, well, it's Eve, if you have this, you get to live forever. You will be like God, right? And in our, our Bible study... Um, is John Sullivan here in the house? John Sullivan. Okay, so we in our last Bible study about the blurry, we were talking about why would Satan, what would, what would, what would cause somebody? He was the pinnacle of of creation. Okay, he was just he was this amazing angel that had. There's there's some thoughts that he was maybe the first angel God created, perhaps, and he was to oversee all the other angels, and he was a he was a throne guardian. For God. Okay, so this guy had all the bells and whistles. He was created perfect. And yet he screwed everything up. He rebelled against God. It's like he it wasn't good enough what he had. And so John Sullivan, so we were talking about it in the last Glory Bible study. What would cause an, uh, an entity like this, like you know, Satan? What would, what would cause him to be like, you know what? This isn't good enough, God. I want to become God. How would he even begin to think that that would be an option? To go up against Almighty God. Why would you do that? What are you smoking? What are you, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Right? And John Sullivan is like, it's, it's pride. Pride blinds us. And so way back in the beginning of Genesis, pride. Have you guys ever noticed how much the Bible talks about how much God hates pride? It's because pride was the reason for our downfall. Pride was the reason for Satan's downfall. And so you fast forward and there's, you know, God hates did you know this too? I know this is random, I know, but um, since we're going there anyways, God is presented as the Lord of hosts more often in the Bible than any other title. 
Now we hear that maybe and we're like, oh, Lord of hosts, okay. He hosts things, right? He's a, he's a, he's a great God. It's a military title, y'all. God is warring on our behalf and he's warring against the enemy. And I just love that picture because I think as believers, we've gotten kind of comfortable, right? We come to church and I'm not, not here to spank the sheep. Um, I like comfort. I don't like discomfort at all. You know, like I, that's not my, I, I want to be comfortable. I, I like things that are orderly and organized, right? Anyways, all right. So let's fast forward. So God, one of the commands that he gives, and we see this modeled out through Jesus, is live the life of a servant. And it's tied specifically to what happened in Genesis. Living as a servant, you know, and not, not going around like, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. That's not what we're talking about realizing who you are before God, right? And that the only way to counteract and undo um, our, our broken sin nature is first of all, coming to Jesus Christ and seeing him as our Lord and Savior, but also to live a life of a servant. Have you guys ever seen, um, you know, those little glow, those stupid glow sticks, right? Okay, um, you, you have to break them in order for the light to shine, right? They don't work unless you break them. And that's kind of the idea. When we live the life of a servant, that pride in us that, that got its start in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, that gets broken. And then we start to shine more and more and more. The more broken we are, the more we shine. All right? All right. So let me read this quote to you guys from this guy. This is so good. And, and I, I, let me, I, I distract myself. I don't know if you've noticed that, but all right. Well, so let me read this quote to you from um, Paul David Tripp from this chapter called Servants. It takes grace to free us from the powerful inertia of sin's individualism. It takes almighty power to free us from the depth, depth of our self-allegiance. See, that's, what's, that's what happened also in Genesis, right? Because Satan told Eve, and Eve thought she could do it and take care of it. And Adam and Eve, remember what happens? What happens after they eat and their eyes are open? They're like, oh, heck, we're naked. And I don't think it, it obviously wasn't just like, a, we're naked, naked. But it was like, oh, we have, we have, na we have a sinful nature. It was that. They felt the full weight of that. And so what do they try to do? They try to make these janky clothes for themselves, right? Out of, out of leaves, try and stitch them together and it's not covering stuff up. And so what does God have to do? It's the first sacrifice in the Bible, the first blood offering. God has to kill an animal and he skins it and he makes clothes for Adam and Eve out of that, which of course that's a type, right? Because we, we see that Jesus later becomes the ultimate offering. But this, as I was thinking about servanthood, I'm, I was just like, it's so cliche, right? Why, you know, okay, Christians are supposed to be servants, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, but why? Why, why, why? This is the why. The only thing that can undo the sin nature, it's, it's a process, right? Like you, first of all, you become, you come to faith in Jesus, right? Okay. 
but you got to work it out, right? Wouldn't it be nice though if we did once we came to faith, we were just, that's it. We were perfect, right? We're like, all of our issues were resolved. We didn't have road rage or anything like that, right? All that stuff was worked out, right? And we became amazingly selfless and just givers and all that stuff. It was like all that, that would be wiped out. No, but God's like, no, you need to work this out. Servanthood, being a servant can also become an idol if we don't go about it the right way, right? Have you ever met people that are so, they're so humble, they let everybody know how humble they are? (laughs) You're like, oh, I could see you coming a mile away because you're so humble, you know? We can make being a servant, that can become our God and our idol. True servanthood, though, comes in and it starts breaking us up and breaking that sin nature apart. All right, so we are going to actually look at John 13, which is the foot washing. Jesus does foot washing. And John is probably, so there's the, the synoptic gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there's John. John has a little different take on Jesus's last, last couple of hours, last night on earth, okay? It's the only one out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John that talks about the foot washing, and I think that's significant. So we are gonna, it's a long chapter, we're gonna read most of it just to get context and then we'll circle back and I want to point out some things. All right, so, okay, so also this is happening during um, Passover, Passover festival, okay? We all know what Passover is, right? We celebrate how, okay. All right, so this is John 13, we're going to start number Verse 1, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And I love this, I love this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I just love that because I think it speaks to Jesus' personality and how he loved fiercely. He loved, here are his last hours, right? Right? And what is he doing it? He's spending it with his inner circle. The people that he poured the most, this was his family, basically, that he was spending his last hours with. Um, Verse two, now by the time of the supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands, to Jesus' hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, verse 4. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse 7. Jesus answered him, 
uh, answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. So he's talking about the work he's going to do on the cross, right? And I know it's easy for us to look at the disciples maybe and go, what a bunch of dummies, right? How do they not realize, like, duh, but we do this stuff every day, guys, every day. Jesus is like, I'm working in your midst. I'm going to do a great thing. And you're like, yeah, but God like this, this thing here. And he's like, but I'm working in your midst. Keep praising me. Keep praising me, right? Okay, so verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Here's what's interesting in the Greek when it says you have no part with, it, with me. The idea there is like, Peter, you got to participate in this. Because if you don't participate in this, there's nothing else for you. Like, this is what the package looks like to be my disciple, to walk with me. But here's the cool thing. This idea here, no part with me, in the Greek, it's this idea of inheritance. Jesus is like, if you don't do this, you don't get the inheritance that I have for you, which is eternal life. And I just think it's really, really, really interesting. God's like, no, you need to assume, you need to be humble enough to accept this gift that I'm giving to you of me washing your feet, but also the work I'm going to do on the cross. This is the way to the inheritance. For those of you who watch The Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. All right. Um, verse 9. So then I love Simon Peter, his response. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump the brakes here. Verse 10. One who has bathed, Jesus told him. So once you've come to faith in, in Christ, that's it. You don't have to keep doing it. Um, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, right? Because once you become a Christian, right, we got to work out our salvation daily, right? We've got wash, the daily washing of our feet, which is doing our quiet time, reading our Bible, coming to church, going to Bible study. Um, verse 10, okay, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew, uh, for, for, so verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. So he's talking to Judas Iscariot, right? All right, we're going to stop there for a second. And I just have a few points that I kind of want us to look at and drill in over. First of all, notice in the beginning of chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Okay, we read that maybe, and we're like, oh, that's esoteric and spiritual. Cool, cool, cool. Here's the deal. Jesus, this is the, and this is, this is, this is a theme in John. God's eminence, right? He is so far above us, right? He is the unmoved mover. He's the creator of everything. And yet he entered and became human, right? So he's far away, but he's also close to us. He knows how many hairs we lose on our head, right? 
Like, that's amazing. I love my daughter, and I would kill for my daughter. I might have maybe tried to do something like, I think I've, I've shared with you guys when she was little, we went to, I'm not proud of this, but it is what it is, so we went to Jimbree, uh, this Jimbree, it was a, a play day, right? And you take your kid there, and you're supposed to watch your kid, right? Okay, they get to play and all the stuff. Well, there's this group of moms, they're, if you have long nails, it's fine, but they're there with their little nails and their little sippy cups, and they weren't watching their kids. I was. And so I noticed that Sophia kept crying. She kept trying to go down the slide, and I watched this with my own eyes. This other kid body checked her, and she fell down. And so I'm waiting for some of these moms. So I was like, oh, you're not going to take care of your kid? I'm going to take care of your kid. So I walked over to this four-year-old. I said, did you just, I watched you just push my daughter down. Did you body check her? He's like, yes. I said, let me tell you something really clearly. If you ever touch her again or look at her the wrong way, I will come and I will sit on you. Are we clear? And this kid is just like shaking. So the kid went and he just stood off in the corner and was shaking. But he never bothered my daughter again. And then we left before the mom came over and she's like, what's the matter? Anyways, but so I love my daughter so much, right? She's our only kid. But I don't know when she loses a hair on her head, but God does. So we have a father who is like up here, but he's also really, he's intimate with us and he's right here, okay? All right, so Jesus knows this. He knows who he is. And what I love about this is it says the father had, get, our English, I'm not trashing English, but we lose so much meaning here. The father had given everything into Jesus's hands, everything. Jesus had access to all, everything, everything that God the Father did. And yet we see Jesus, verse 4, he takes off his outer, okay, his outer, his outer garment, gets his servant's towel, and he starts cleaning the feet of the disciple. Here's the thing, the first thing about servanthood, true servanthood, is we know who we belong to. We are secure in our relationship with God. That's what we move from, right? Jesus didn't need to go around tooting his own horn. Okay, so I, Josh and I went to school in, in um, Montecito, in Santa Barbara, right? And a lot of money up there, right? Like just ridiculous, stupid, stupid, stupid money up there. And I remember this one day, I was going into like a little convenience store, and there was this guy in there ahead of me, he had torn jeans on and flip-flops and a t-shirt that had like holes in it, right? But I noticed he had a nice watch on and I was like, this is kind of weird, okay. He had a beautiful Rolex on. And then he gets his stuff and he leaves and he goes out. And, and I was just one more thing, I was like, guy is kind of dressed kind of ratty and I think actually he even had like a, like a rope tighter, like for a belt. And I was like, well, if you can afford a watch, why can't you afford a real belt, man, and get it, get it, jeans that aren't ripped? And, and so I watched him get into his car, and he got into this really expensive-looking Lamborghini. And I was like, dang. And so going to school, up, we went to Westmont, which was in Montecito. The guy turns out to be a huge head fund guy, super wealthy. But the thing that struck me and what I learned 
People who have money don't need to advertise that they have money. Because it's, it's just part of, it's part of who they are. It's normal. They don't need to, you know, beside his Rolex, I would not have guessed that this guy was who he was. And I think Jesus, when he goes to wash his disciples' feet, he is so secure in who he is, he doesn't have to broadcast it or talk about it. He just is. And that's the first point there, is when we know the value that we have, when we know we are co-heirs with Jesus, so what does that mean in light of this verse? It means that God has also given us everything, y'all. Wow. Can you imagine if we lived our lives knowing that God had given us everything, that we were co-heirs with Jesus? I would certainly make us want to square our shoulders back more and sit up a little stronger, right? And I know sometimes it's hard when we're walking through the crap of life to be like, God, you said you gave me everything. Where's it at? Where's it at? So I was listening to uh, this guy named Troy, Troy Burr. He's a pastor out of Texas. Okay. And he was talking about how as Paul and somebody else, I'm sorry on the, on the details, like I'm not a good detail person, but they have gotten the crap beaten out of them, literally. They've gotten whipped. Their backs are raw. They've gotten beaten to almost like an, within an inch of their life, right? They get tossed into the prison, and it's a hole. It's a hole, and there's sewage, raw sewage running through the bottom of their cell. Their back is torn up, not, san not a good sanitary place to be if your back is torn up like that, right? They're in the bottom of this hole. It's cold. And you know what they start doing? They start praising God. They start praising God. That causes an earthquake to happen and God moves. And here's my point. They knew who they belonged to. This is, and I'm not saying that we go through life saying la, la, la. Like, no, cancer sucks, suffering sucks, having a sick kid that's terminal, that sucks, losing your job, having physical pain so that you can't work, that all sucks. I'm not saying to be like, yay, yay, yay. What I am saying, though, is that God's like, remember who you are. These are your circumstances, but it's not your reality. It's not your reality. And I think Jesus was able to serve at such a profound level because he knew his reality, his circumstances where he was going to go to the cross in a few hours. But his reality was he was going to redeem all of humanity. He had everything. He'd been getting everything by God the Father. All right? So the first thing is when we serve, we serve out of a place of knowing whose we are. All right? All right. Now, so let me, let me give you some quick background real quick. Okay, so first of all, feet washing was so, uh, I don't even know, let's see, what's the, it was so disgusting to Jews that if they had, let's say, um, a Gentile master, the Gentile master 
knew not to ask of the Jew, the Jewish slave to wash the feet. That's how degrading and disgusting it was. It was so unclean. It was so ceremonially unclean that Jews who were slaves got a pass on not doing that. Just let that roll around your head, okay? And yet we have Jesus here because of who he is and how secure he is. He just, he does the thing. And that's the second point. True servanthood doesn't require any announcements. You just do the thing. You just jump in. And what I love about this is how it goes from this lofty thing in verse 3, right? He's been given everything by God the Father to verse 4. He, so there, uh, and, and then you guys know this too, right? They used to eat, not like we have here where you sit at a table. They would recline on their left side and put their feet like this and they would eat. Okay, so your feet were exposed, which is why having clean feet was super important when you went to social events like this, because your feet were pretty much in somebody else's space, right? And what I love about this, and then Peter's reaction too. So we look at this and we're like, Peter, whoa, 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 don't you realize like this has to happen? It was, Peter got who Jesus was. He comprehended who he was, right? He wasn't just his buddy. He wasn't just the guy that he just spent the last three years traveling with and escaping death. Like, Peter got who Jesus was. And that's part of why Peter's like, Jesus, no, you don't have to do this. That's disgusting. You're a rabbi. No, you're our Lord. We get it, right? And I just love how Jesus is like, look, this is going to happen. <laughs> and I think... When we, God puts it on our heart to do stuff, there's no fanfare. We just do it, right? Um, okay, so for those of you that are Oprah fans, I'm sorry, but hold on to your, hold on to your shorts. Mm. Okay, so we all know about the horrible fires in Maui, right? That whole thing happened. And um, so obviously, I'm, I'm not going to lie, like I'm deep into conspiracy stuff. I'm super deep, right? Okay, but so, so there was, you know, Oprah came along and was trying to help because I guess she owns a lot of land and has this huge plantation in Hawaii, right? So she wanted to help the locals who had lost everything. Like these people didn't even have pillows. So she wanted to videotape herself with her film crew going into the shelters handing out stuff. And the shelter people were like, you, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's not okay. So, so what she did was she ditched her, her big television crew, right? And instead found somebody who got an iPhone and videotaped her going around handing out pillows to people. Now, obviously, that's not really, that's not, and I know I'm, we're not going to hold Oprah to a biblical standard, but that's, that's like the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do, right? He's like, do your good deeds in secret, right? Because God, your father knows and sees everything. You know, you don't have to videotape everything and be like, look at me, look what I can do. Um, how many of you guys remember Stuart from, was it, what was it, what was the show? Mad TV, thank you. Stuart, remember, he's like, look what I can do, look what I can do, right? He's always like, look at me, I'm special, I'm great. That is the polar opposite of how we are called to serve as Christ followers. 
And I think a lot of times, like, especially if you're in a position of leadership, it gets a little lonely sometimes because you're like, I am doing so much stuff behind the scene. Nobody recognizes it. But here's the deal. That is part of the working out and the breaking of our sin nature. Because when we do that and we don't get the praise, the only thing that we get is we get praise from our Father and Jesus. You know what that does? That cultivates a pattern of growth that is different than if we got it praised from human eyes and human mouths. You guys ever, Sophia in grade school, had a, she took a plant home and they were doing this like biology homework and it was like you had to put the plant that was growing, like let's say it was growing towards the right. Well, you had to take it home and put it in the sun so it would grow the opposite way towards the, the, the sun. The whole idea was like photosynthesis and how plants need the sun, right? And after a couple of weeks, we noticed that the plant was started growing towards the sun instead of the opposite way when we had brought it home. And that's how it is when we do service unto the Lord. We start craving that, that approval from God instead of man. We start growing towards the sun, S-O-N, okay? All right. All right, so we're going to move on here. Okay, so the other thing, too, is, well, let's, let's go down. Let's, we're going to hop down real quick to 14, 13, 14. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I've given you example that you also should do just as I have done for you. All right, now, I'm not advocating that y'all, if you want to, you can. You guys can go home and wash each other's feet, or I don't know, some churches do that. We're not, that's not us. We're not into foot washing here. I know some people do it. But I just think it's this idea here of serving. And what I love about this, this is your third point here. Jesus isn't speaking to a giant crowd of 5,000 people. He is modeling this with his group of 12, his innermost circle. This is his family. True servant leadership starts in the home. Because we can go out, right? We can do all the things out here, right? And have that going on, and we're kind of doing it quietly, right? But if we aren't serving our family, it's all poop. (laughs) It doesn't count for anything. And, I, and I, love, I love this order of things. And God's like, Jesus is like, you got to start here. You start here. I value you guys. And I'm going to teach you. This 12 went out and, and just radically spread the gospel. And I think it's such an amazing story of what true servant leadership can do and how it can move people. And I love this because these 12 are Je- Jesus' family. Okay, Jesus had, you know, his earthly family too, but... He spent three and a half years eating, sleeping, traveling, escaping death with these people. And I just love that. I love that. And then the fruit from that is that they went out and they changed the world. And so I just want to leave this here. That we have to start in our home. How are we serving the people that we live with? 
How are we serving the people that we work with or work for? And I'm not talking about <laughs> me getting Josh's a beer for him and his slippers and the remote. <laughs> but it's it's this it's a posture. It's an internal posture, right? And then we take that and we apply it out out here. Can I have the ushers come up, please? And the band. I want to leave you with this quote. Okay, so first of all, we're going to skip over real quick to 1334. Okay? So first of all, Jesus does this thing, right, with the foot washing. And he's like, I'm doing it, so you need to do it as my followers, right? And here's the thing. This is why servant leadership is so important. These are, these are Jesus' last hours on earth, guys before he goes to the cross. And he's modeling servant leadership to the disciples. Just let their role, I don't know about you guys. I don't, I know I'm a pastor and I've been a Christian forever, but I don't know if I'd be washing people's feet the last couple of hours that I had. I might want to do something fun. I don't know. But here Jesus is doing this and I love his words here. Okay, so uh, 1334. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love one another, just as I have loved you. And this love that Jesus has for them. So when he's going around and he's cleaning their feet, you guys, his towel that he has, and understand in, in this culture, you're wearing sandals. So your feet are uncovered and it's dry, arid land. So you're getting mud caked on your feet. These are nasty feet. And as Jesus goes down and he's washing everybody's feet, as he's wiping their feet off, his clean towel that he had becomes dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. Because he's taking on metaphorically their sin, what he's gonna go model and do on the cross. And I just think it's such a profound picture and I'm not saying that we are to take on other people's dirt. We can't do that. Only Jesus can. But I love how Jesus is like, this is what true biblical love looks like. You're going to get on your hands and knees and you got to get dirty. And it's going to get messy and it's, it's going to get gross sometimes. And you're going to step on each other's toes and feet. But I've called you to serve. Look at what Jesus did here, how that transformed them. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. True servant leadership is about action. And whether you work in the food bank every Saturday faithfully or you lead a women's Bible study, I just want, I want us to take the next few minutes and go before God and just say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? You know, we can get into rote things where we're just like, this is what I do, right? And that's fine. And there's different seasons for stuff. But Jesus's love, his servant leadership transformed a culture. We are called to be transformers of culture, you guys. And so I just want you to sit. Um, 
let's, you know, let's give back to the Lord. And as we're doing this, I want you to just to ask God, ask God to put it on your heart. How do you, how do you want me to serve God? How can I serve others? You don't have to necessarily do the feet washing, but what would God have you do? How would he want you to serve others? All right, Lord, we give back this offering to you because everything flows from you, Jesus, first and foremost. So we joyfully give back to you. We thank you, God, for your goodness in our lives and that you, you fight our battles, God. You go before us. So Lord, we give you our widow's might and say multiply it, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all. We're going to do communion together. And I think, just like in John 13 here, when Jesus is having this last meal with his disciples, and he's giving them his last final words before he gets arrested and goes to the cross. I want us just to sit and, and, and just ask God, God, as we prepare to take this meal, we thank you for your death on the cross, Lord. And God, that your heart was so for us that you spent it with these 12 who represented us. You loved you loved well to the end, God. And so, Lord, together we say thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf. Take now the body of Christ. And Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was spilled. There is truly life in the blood. You gave us a blood transfusion, Lord Jesus, when you died on the cross. You redeemed us from death, and for this we thank you. And we drink to you, Jesus, and we say thank you for the work that you did. with this I want to read you this quote in calling me let's be honest when we serve right we are putting aside our wants our desires to help somebody else right and it doesn't feel good sometimes especially when God's like, I want you to go serve this person. And you're like, God, I would serve anybody else but this person. And yet we see the call to servanthood and serving is not discriminatory. Jesus could have easily skipped over washing Judas Iscariot's feet. And yet there Jesus was on his hands and feet, getting his hands nasty, his towels getting dirtier and dirtier, and he still serves Judas Iscariot. And it just, true 
servant leadership, true love transforms. Do you know that when Jesus did that, he's giving Judas an opportunity to repent up until the very end? That's the God that we serve. And guess what? We're called to a family resemblance. So God is like, I need you to go out. I know it's going to be hard and backbreaking and gross, and I'm going to call you to serve people who are reprehensible and horrible. But I need you to be my hands and my feet. You're going to get your towels dirty and your knees dirty and your hands gross. You're going to smell things that are gross. But I need you to go and be my hands and feet. What a profound example of servant leadership we see in Jesus washing Jesus Iscariot's feet. Let me read you this quote. In calling me to deny myself, God is freeing me from my bondage to me. This is what Satan didn't understand in the Garden of Eden. Self-focus never leads to happiness. It never produces contentment. And it never results in a satisfied heart. The more a leader slash person has himself in focus, the more he thinks about how ministry inconveniences him or life, and the less he will experience true joy and lasting contentment. The call to servanthood is the tool that your Lord uses to free you from discourage your discouraging and debilitating bondage to yourself. The call to servanthood is not just for the glory of your Lord and the benefit of others, but it is God's grace to you as a community. just want to leave that with you guys this week. You know, in our, our group here, like this, this whole season, God's been working on me with just radical obedience. So that means like if God says, I want you to go pray with this person right now, I'm not like, oh, but I'm not comfortable with it. Like just step out and do it. So God's been working on me and I shared that I, today when we did the group huddle. And I just, my prayer for you guys, you guys, can you imagine if we were so divorced from our sense of comfort and our sense of just things going along as they should, and God just was able to pluck us and use us all over, we can freaking transform the world. That's what 12 people did with Jesus. We can do the same. So Lord, I just pray over everybody here. God, I, I, I just pray for radical obedience, God. That you allow servant servanthood, God, as a way to 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 break our hold over ourselves, God. And I pray this week, Lord, I pray that we would just have bondages broken all over the place, Lord Jesus, in our work, in our homes, in our places we do our food shopping and pick up the dry clean everywhere, God, with our families, our extended families. Lord, that we would heed the radical call of servanthood on our lives so that, yes, we can model you, Lord, and be your hands and feet, but also that we would become, that we would look more and more like our Savior. Go before us this week, God. Put people 
on our hearts, Lord. Put tasks on our heart that would help to, to transform our community. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, and we say thank you for first loving us. In your name, amen. Have a great week, you guys. Go with God.